When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Gordon Chang, author of The Coming Collapse of China. Please introduce yourself, sir. I'm Gordon Chang. I wrote The Coming Collapse of China and Nuclear Showdown, North Korea Takes on the World. My most recent booklet is uh, The Great U.S.-China Tech War. And you can find me on Twitter at Gordon G. Chang, G-O-R-D-O-N-G-C-H-A-N-G. And I will put all of that in the description. For for the coming collapse of China, is this going to be something akin to the Soviet Union collapsing in terms that it's a formidable military might or formidable military power with not quite as or not nearly as vast as the Soviet Union's, but a a nuclear arsenal that cannot just be sw- uh, swept under the rug? Are we going to see something like the dangers of those weapons, kind of like in the '90s, going to the the former Soviet blocs, and then where do they go from there? Yeah. This is exceedingly dangerous. I mean, the world was very lucky when the Soviet Union fell because there was very little bloodshed. And for the most part, not entirely, we were able to contain uh, the Soviet arsenal. Uh, China is not going to go as quietly uh, from all indications. Xi Jinping's a tough guy. He's often talked about the fall of the Soviet Union privately within Communist Party circles. He blames Gorbachev for not being a, quote-unquote, real man. And so Xi Jinping, I believe, is capable of taking the world down with him. Do you think that from, you know, 40,000-foot view and then obviously everything that's classified, do you think that we are looking forward, and that is, among other reasons, the withdrawal from the Middle East and the posturing in the South China Sea, the Pacific Deterrence Initiative, the kind of moving more weapons and more force projection fleets over there. Is that what we're getting ready for? Are we looking at Iraq, Afghanistan as that, that's yesteryear, the, the kind of the 800-pound the gorilla in the room, or the dragon in this case, is this thing that, like you said, is not going to go gently into that good night? Well, President Biden has said that uh, the reason for withdrawing from Afghanistan is to concentrate our forces in the Pacific and there's a certain amount of logic in that. I'm not exactly sure that uh, leaving Afghanistan is going to really help us that much in the Pacific. And, and I'm part of the reason is that the withdrawal was so chaotic. It really emboldened the Chinese. It sort of made them think that they could do what they want. We have seen that from their propaganda. There were two narratives as Kabul was falling. One of them is that how could the Americans who couldn't deal with the ragtag ragtag Taliban, how can they deal with a a magnificent China? And the second narrative is that um, Beijing was telling Taipei that uh, when China invades, that Taiwan will fall within days and the U.S. won't help it. So I actually think that those narratives reflect what the Chinese elite is thinking, and it made China more dangerous in East Asia. So although there's a surface logic to what Biden was saying, I think that the way he accomplished it actually undercut America's position um, along China's periphery.
Do you think, and this is kind of the trillion, multi-trillion dollar question, was COVID-19 released and was it released intentionally? And obviously, this is all wild speculation. It's just, I've interviewed Dr. Ken Alabek, the first deputy director of Biopreparat, the Soviet Union's offensive biological weapons program. He defected the United States in 1992. He's been on here several times now. And he talks about how similar uh, Biopreparat was to Unit 731 in Japan, where it was kind of this Hail Mary. If it all, if it all kind of goes to hell, we can have bubonic plague, smallpox, everything. Because it's sort of, I believe it's Israel, it's, it's theorized that they have, I can't remember the name of it, I think it's the Samson option, but it's if everything else kind of goes to hell around them and no one comes to save them, they will start a nuclear war, knowing that it will pull in the whole world. And so, I mean, it's, it's evil, but it's brilliant in that the whole world can't really let Israel fall. Is this... Is that what we saw from China in December 2019? Trump's trade wars, kind of the undermining the TPP. Was it was it an was it a was it a beast lashing out? Well, uh, we don't know the origins of COVID 19. Whether it came from a lab or whether it was a natural zoonotic transfer, I think it came from a lab, but we don't know that for sure. But there is one thing that we know and can be positive about. And that is that Chinese leader Xi Jinping actually um, took steps to deliberately spread this disease beyond China's borders. Um, for a period of about five weeks, maybe five months, if you believe a Harvard Medical School study, Chinese leaders knew that SARS-CoV-2, the pathogen that causes COVID-19, was highly transmissible from one human to the next. Yet we know they told the world it was not, not contagious. And while they were locking down their own country, they were pressuring other countries not to impose travel restrictions and quarantines on arrivals from China. You put those two things together, and there's only one conclusion that fits the facts, and that is that uh, Beijing deliberately spread this um, to the rest of the world. And that makes 4.75 million people who have died outside of China um, the result of a deliberate attack. That's murder. Mm -hmm. um, we don't know, in fact, what Xi Jinping was thinking, but if after having seen what the coronavirus did to cripple his own country, if he wanted to level the playing field by spreading it elsewhere, he would have done exactly what he, in fact, did. So we should take those 700,000 American deaths and say that this was a deliberate attack on the U.S. and act accordingly. It's I've often said, you know, obviously... I think everyone and everything deserves the benefit of the doubt. And I also understand I'm 31 and that may be an idyllic uh, mindset that I have. But when it comes from Wuhan, where that lab is, and when China in the late 90s, as you know, published the papers on unrestricted warfare, when, uh, when you look at their end goals of 2049, the 100-year marathon, Man, I, you know, we can't take on America tank for tank, boat for boat, you know, but we can do what was it, the Thousand Talent program? It's a thousand paper cuts. Yeah, I mean, the glove fits. Why would you not do that? Why would you not do that? And I don't really see, you know, if we didn't know where it came from, I mean, geographically, it might be a stretch, but I mean, it came from Wuhan. I just, right. Yeah. And the other thing, Tommy, is that we know that China is working on what they call, quote, specific ethnic genetic attacks. 
In other words, developing pathogens that will leave the Chinese immune, but sicken and kill everybody else. So that means the next disease from China could be a civilization killer, leaving only China as the world's only viable society. And that means we need to impose costs on China for spreading COVID-19, because right now the Chinese are not deterred from doing that. They know that they have um, caused all of this death and destruction and gotten away with it completely. So why wouldn't they spread um, a specific ethnic genetic attack, the new type of biological warfare that they openly talk about? Mm -hmm. So um, this is this is on us. Um, you know, the Chinese were murderous, um, but now we're permitting them to be murderous again. So it's on us. Is it? And as, again, a 31-year-old with no military experience speculating wildly, are we seeing are we seeing our preparation to fight the Soviets, right? I mean, space warfare, nuclear weapons, lasers, and then 9-11 happens and we're left over with this, this juggernaut machine meant to fight another juggernaut, and then we have to pivot to, you know, MRAPs and echolocation and fi fighting IEDs and guys with sandals and AKs. And now we've done that for 20 years. Is it deja vu? Do we have this new machine meant to fight insurgency? And now the new wave is, no, this is going to be biological. This is going to be cyber. Is that, or is that, was that the development of the Space Force? Is that preemptively looking ahead to say, this is where China will go? That, that's, you know, one way to knock everything down will be to take out the space infrastructure. Right. Well, we have a military that, as you say, has been configured to fight terrorists. Um, and now we have, and I can remember people um, writing uh, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, saying, we'll never fight a major war uh, again, which I thought was ridiculous for them to say that, because who knows what the future will be. Um, but obviously, we've got to configure our military for a new type of warfare, um, because the Chinese are actually conducting it. I mean, that 1999 book from then two Chinese Air Force colonels, quote-unquote, unrestricted warfare was the title, really is the uh, paradigm that China has adopted today. Even though they say they, they're not conducting unrestricted warfare, they in fact are. And we're not prepared. Um, we have, uh, you know, Biden's not prepared. Um, and this is not just a criticism of him. It's a criticism of the Pentagon. Uh, they're not prepared. Um, it's criticism of both parties, both liberals and conservatives, because they're not prepared. Uh, we've, we've got an enemy which is uh, vicious beyond whatever we've seen before. And um, we are just not uh, defending ourselves. Do you see Taiwan as being the new Berlin and that it will be the first uh, passive and perhaps uh, proxy confrontation between the two powers where they, they cut off the food so we do the air bridge and there are no shots fired, but it was the first time, you know, the United States and the Soviets kind of bumped elbows. If they go for Taiwan or if they start cutting off Taiwan, I mean, right now they're doing it, right? They're dredging Taiwan. They're destroying their fishing lanes as well as, you know, using all the material for their artificial islands and they're mapping it out for their nuclear submarine lanes. Is that going to be the first? I mean, is it just is it just. Cold War Part Two is it deja vu? Are we going to see that? Are we going to see that with Australia? Is there going to be the new domino theory from Korea and Vietnam? Is it is it all just winding up to happen again? Well, we're heading into a very intense period. 
And we don't know where war will break out. It could be Taiwan, could be Japan, could be India, where you already have Chinese troops below the line of actual control in the Ladakh. We have Chinese encroachments in India's Sikkim. We have Chinese encroachments in the independent country of Nepal. Um, there could be dangerous intercepts of the U.S. Navy and the U.S. Air Force and the global commons. We don't know where it will be. But um, as Jim Holmes of the Naval War College said, this is like 1937. And by that, he meant that 1937, um, you knew that there was trouble out there, but you couldn't be sure that the worst would occur. Yeah. But as we learned, as we now know, um, the worst did occur. And in fact, what happened is far worse than what anyone at the time thought. So we're at one of those 1937 moments where um, we could... We could sail past this if we're fortunate, or we could end up in history's last war. Uh, so um, we we just don't know where this is going. I mean, right? Well, they've they've already got the concentration camps flying. They uh, they know what they're doing. Is it um, and well, and like that, are we going to learn that appeasement doesn't work? The whole idea of Thucydides traps, or even now, right, General Milley warning. I mean, on one hand, let's play the devil's advocate. Maybe he. Maybe million, and I don't support him, but let's just let's exercise some uh, some creative thinking. Maybe he did believe that it was his job above all else to protect America, and through and I. By the way, I don't support any of this at all, but I'm trying to imagine what it would be. Perhaps he thought he was protecting America by alerting uh, the Chinese Communist Party that he wouldn't initiate an attack or he would give him a heads up. Um, I mean, we know, right? Didn't Kissinger? Didn't Kissinger? Uh, um, he instructed, I believe, the head of the uh, the Secretary of Defense to keep the nuclear football off Air Force One when they were taking Nixon on his last flight because he was drinking. That was uh, Schlesinger. Schlesinger, yes. Um, on one hand, could it be that where his ultimate job is to protect national security and that's what he believed? Or are we going to stumble through appeasement for a second time and learn that lesson for a second time? Yeah. Well, we are we're seeing appeasement. Um, and, um, you know, it's, it's not just by, uh, I mean, this is to me inexcusable because we went through the series of events, starting with the remilitarization of the Rhineland in March, 1936, all the way to the invasion of Poland in September of 1939. So, um, we have no excuse instead of Britain and France being the feeble Western democracies, it's the United States. So uh, although the Chinese are villains, we have taught them to be that they can get away with villainy. So this is on us. And the American people ought to be outraged. Um, you talked about Millie. Um, that's a whole nother conversation. But um, whatever happened in, um, with Millie, um, I don't think that he had the desired effect with his Chinese counterpart, General Li Zhou-Chung, um, because either I, I think that General Lee probably came away emboldened because he thought that the United States was completely in terminal decline. I've heard people come away with the opposite thought that uh, Lee was enraged because he thought that Milley was so arrogant by saying, well, even if we had warned you, we still going to win. Um, whichever way it turned out, I don't think General Lee um, took the message that Milley intended. And by the way, just as an aside, I don't think that there are any objective indications that the Chinese thought they were going to be attacked, which is Billy's justification for trying to calm the situation. 
There were no unusual military movements. There were no civilian preparations. And most indicative of all, there was no signals in Chinese propaganda. China always signals what it's going to do through its propaganda. And we didn't see any of that. So I don't know where Milley is getting this. But if you're General Lee, you're probably th- knowing that there are no objective indications. You, you know, you, you're your General Lee. You don't think the Americans are going to attack you. And so I guess it really was up to General Lee thinking, well, if Milley thinks that, it means that Milley must have a spy in China, somewhere at the top of the Chinese military, maybe at the top of the Communist Party. So I'm sure the Communist Party right now is on an intensified hunt for an American spy. Yeah, it's a good. That's a good point. Maybe it just shows Millie's not uh not cut out for the cut out for the job. If if he had this idea that we were about to attack and there's really no reason for us to. Um, now is and it's obviously the answer is no because nothing is. But is China a monolith or are there factions within the CCP that uh, don't want this don't want the uh, don't want the country going down the road they're going down? Are there factions within it that could be? Uh, wedged open? Yeah, the the answer is yes. Um, Communist Party has always been a collection of factions, and Xi Jinping has tried to end factionalism. But he's being criticized for policies that are obviously not working. And that's what's one of the things that makes him so dangerous right now is because he's in a fragile political position. Um, But, you know, I don't think... Um, you know, a lot. Of, you have a lot of American um, policymakers and analysts say, well, because there are this factionalism in the Communist Party, we should be trying to play Communist Party politics. No American, and I mean even people in the CIA, even the director of national intelligence, knows what's going on in Beijing in Communist Party circles. So uh, this is not something that we should be trying to do. We should be trying to deter China. We should be trying to work closely with our allies. We should be just trying to do a lot of things. But trying to play Communist Party politics is not one of them. That being said, in China, a you know a police surveillance state that Goebbels couldn't have dreamed of, and with them having no Second Amendment and really their ability to just use AI to track everyone, is there any way for the Chinese people to rise up against their government, or would it be a slaughter unlike anything we've seen? Well, it could be both. Um, No matter how uh, effective, uh, efficient a surveillance state is, it can always fall apart. Um, When enough people say that they are no longer going to be intimidated, when they either have hope that things can be changed or they're desperate, um, these totalitarian regimes can fall apart. And that's certainly true with China, especially when you have the debt crisis, an economy which is stagnating. You have, you know, animosity because of the COVID-19 lockdowns. So there's a lot of unhappiness there. Um, You have these power shortages. I mean, China right now is a mess. And that's what makes it dangerous. Communist China is dangerous when it's strong. But communist China is more dangerous when it's weak. And right now it's weak. What issues am I not hitting on that you think are pertinent? Well, there's a lot out there. Um, But I think the most important thing right now is that we Americans don't understand the maliciousness of the Chinese system. I mean, we have, you know, this sort of leftover from the end of the Cold War. 
that we can all work together. And we see this, for instance, in Biden trying to get a climate deal with China. So um, we should um, realize that right now that this is an existential fight. I mean, Xi Jinping actually has come out and he talks about Tianxia, which is the notion that China is the world's only legitimate ruler, that the Chinese emperor rules all under heaven or Tianxia. Um, and they, they talk about this openly. So that means that they don't believe that we should be sovereign. Um, and that's an existential threat right there. But we have seen China try to overthrow our republic by encouraging violence on our streets last year and early part of this year. We've seen the spread of disease. We've seen the spread of fentanyl because um, China's regime knows what's going on with fentanyl. Um, that means each of those 53,000 fentanyl deaths last year in the United States each one of them should be considered a murder. So, you know, the list goes on and on, and we're not prepared to deal with this. And the point that I think is that we can lose our country, um, and we will lose our country unless we change course. What are your thoughts on China eclipsing us militarily and economically by the late 2020s? Really unlikely. Um, China will be likely to, uh, you know, China could end up being... Um, a failed state, because you've got the debt crisis for which they have no answer. They've got an environmental crisis. They've got an economy which is stagnant. And, you know, long term, most important, they're on the edge of a demographic collapse, um, the steepest demographic decline in history of the absence of war or disease. They've got a total fertility rate, which is the average number of uh, uh, births per female of childbearing age. They say it's 1.3, um, which is really low, by the way, but it's probably more like 0.9 or 1.0. And by China's demographers, Chinese demographers say that the country could lose half its population in 45 years, which means by the turn of the century, the United States could be more populous than China. Um, no society has ever gone through this before, so... Um, you know, long term, China cannot eclipse the United States. And if it if it did, it would be like 10 seconds. But I don't think it can because of the debt crisis and everything else. So um, the only way that China is going to eclipse the United States is if it destroys us with its nuclear weapons and its biological weapons. And then um, that's the only scenario. And I don't see why they wouldn't do that. I mean, why would they not release another biological weapon if it's shown to be so effective? And to counter that, like you said, we are still kind of stuck in this. We can all just get a long mindset. And the reality is that doesn't work. Would it have to be declassified or somehow shown definitively that it was that COVID-19 was released and was released intentionally? And is that the only way you could garner world support and country support for a I guess, an alliance to go against China? Well, I think there are a lot of things that are pushing countries to sort of protect themselves. And as I said, I don't think it was necessarily released um, intentionally, but I think that China, once it was out, um, they took decisions that they knew were spreading the disease beyond their borders. So that's why I say those 4.75 million deaths outside China as the result of intentional action on the part of the Chinese leadership. So we should hold them accountable. I mean, it could very, you know, I, I, I know that a lot of Chinese nationals 
tend to think that China deliberately released it, um, which, by the way, shows the steep cynicism in Chinese society, because most foreigners don't believe that at all. And I don't believe it, largely because they didn't have the vaccine. If they didn't have the vaccine, this was a really dangerous thing for them to do. But regardless, I don't care whether it was released intentionally or accidentally or whether it was zoonotic transfer. We know that Chinese leaders took steps to deliberately spread this disease beyond their borders. That's the important thing. And that's what I think that the world needs to focus on. Okay. And I've got you for six more minutes. Is there any way to counter their Belt and Road Initiative? Well, I think the Belt and Road Initiative is stalling on its own because China uh, it has the money, but it's really stretched. Remember, China's trying to do a lot of things, trying to modernize its military, trying to improve its surveillance state. It's supporting North Korea. It's supporting this regime and that regime. It's got a lot of calls on its money. Um, and so I think China's really stretched. Um, and I think it's a good thing that the G7 countries are trying to come up with an alternative to Belt and Road but ultimately, what we need to do is help countries not pay China back. Um, and there are a lot of reasons why countries shouldn't be paying China back, because China actually um, got those countries to agree to Belt and Road loans through corruption and through other means. So we should be making sure that China hurts financially. And the other thing is we should uh, be working at the IMF to not support countries that have to pay back Belt and Road loans. For instance, Pakistan. Do you think we're going to see, sort of in a good way, if there is any silver lining to any of this, are we going to see another space race with China? As we well, there the already Soviets? is a space race. Yeah. Well, space I mean, there already is. I mean, and China's been very clear about what it wants to do. Um, we are behind the ball in, in, in space, which is um, – really dangerous because if they take down our assets in low earth orbit, I mean, we don't have a military, we don't have an economy. Um, so we need to start defending our assets there. And we're not doing a very good job of that. More, some more wild speculation. I've thought about this before. Wouldn't it make sense that Elon Musk's Starlink is like a, is like a facade for a DOD program? How else could you put up thousands of satellites without anyone batting an eye? <laughs> well, he can do it because he's got lift capacity. Yeah. Um, and and we, we're talking about smaller satellites. So, um, and, and the Chinese have got their um, analog to what Musk wants to do. So we're going to have these huge constellations in space. Low Earth orbit is going to be exceedingly crowded, going to be contested. Um, and this is like a race that we haven't quite seen before. So do you think the Space Force is going to kind of act like uh, the Navy in that it maybe protects shipping lanes? Will it be kind of protecting the sovereignty of, of I guess, low-Earth orbit, orbital shipping lanes? Yeah, I don't know exactly how effective our Space Force has been up to now. I mean, China has um, reorganized its military half-decade ago and is doing a pretty good job in, in getting themselves to be a much more effective force, integrating space into their plans much better than we are. We're still at a very rudimentary stage in trying to figure out how to organize space in the Pentagon. But sometimes we do best when we have a kick in the pants, right? I mean, the Soviets putting up Sputnik, 
sometimes it's sometimes it does America good when we get caught like a deer in the headlights. Except that we're not defending ourselves. That's very true. Yeah, and it's yeah. So I've got you for two more minutes. What what are your closing thoughts on this? What is the most important thing? The most important thing is that we cut our links with China, cut our trade, investment, technical cooperation, um, not letting them buy our um, our tech companies, um, enforcing reciprocity. So if we can't, you know, if we can't have our apps in China. We should not be allowing TikTok and other Chinese apps in our country. Um, you know, we can't have our media in China, so why do we allow their media in ours? This is just wrong. This is a failure to defend ourselves. And the American people should just be outraged. And lastly, are you scared at all about, and I know I've got you for one more minute now, are you scared at all at what seems to be the normalization of censorship? Um, in the United States, yes, uh, yes, it's a that's it, a complicated issue, um, and the reason is that the big social media platforms are private; they've got First Amendment rights, sure. um, so they can they can censor whoever they want, but um, they should not have the advantage of Section two hundred and thirty, which gives them libel protection. I think they should be forced to choose. Um, if you take the Section 230 protection, you have to allow everything on your uh, site, which is legal. Uh, if you don't want Section 230 protection, you know, be my guest. The First Amendment is yours, um, and we got to protect it. But, yeah, I, the, the space for public discussion in the U.S. is narrowing, and we need to do something, something about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's absolutely absurd. As you know, I'm permanently banned from YouTube. And it's if you question anything that they deem inappropriate or misinformation, you get the ban hammer, and it's it's insane. And I'm I'm with you. They're private companies. You can't have your cake and eat it too. Section absolutely. And by the way, it is a badge of honor to be banned from YouTube. So <laughs> congratulations. Thank, thank you, sir. It's a like I said early on, I was upset, and then I would have on more and more physicians, and they'd come on, and I'd tell them, I'd go, I'm banned from YouTube. And without without exception, they all, oh, congratulations, Tommy. <laughs> Very good. You should be proud or good for you, young man. And I slowly started to realize, I was like, all right, all right, yeah, this is the way to go. This is the cool thing, right? So, right. but I said I would only keep you for 30 minutes, Mr. Gordon Chang. Thank you so much, sir. I will put your book in the description as well as your Twitter, and I would love to have you back on sometime. I would love to do so, and thank you so much, Tommy. Yeah, man, thank you so much. Thank you for what you're doing, and thank you for speaking truth to power. And uh, I do believe the United States will come out on top because, uh, well, that's what we do. I hope so. I sure hope so. I just don't see how. I just don't. I'm rambling now. I'll let you go. Gordon Chang, thank you so much, sir. God bless. Recording stopped. God bless America. You have a good evening, sir.